Our next gospel lesson will come from Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read verses 14 through 16. And I invite you to stand as you are able, in body or in spirit, for the reading of our next gospel lesson. The one of the twelve, who is called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver. From that moment, he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, there are certain names, certain individuals whose fame or whose ability transcends things that we don't call them by their full name. You know, everyone knows Madonna. Everyone knows Cher. You know, Rambo. How many of y'all know Rambo's first name? Anybody know Rambo's first Okay, y'all get to leave early. That was my total early service. You get to leave church early. If you got that in right, you get to leave early. So whoever said that, congratulations. Um, <laughs> you know, some names, I, I, Tim, for instance. Tim needs no last name, you know. Hey, by the way, seriously, there may be better choirs and better choir direct music ministers and accompaniments out there, but I hadn't met them. We are blessed to have some amazing music here in our church. But there are certain names that transcend, that just we, everyone knows. You know, we see it even in biblical things like our society and many, even of our churches are becoming be- less biblically literate. We don't really know scripture like we used to. It's not as present in culture. But there are certain names that are biblical, certain concepts that are biblical that really still are present within our culture today. For instance, in March, we're going to see several Davids beat Goliaths when March Madness rolls around. Everyone kind of knows the David and Goliath thing, even if you don't really know this full story of David and Goliath. Well, today, we see another name. We see another concept that really transcends Scripture. I mean, everybody knows Judas. Everybody knows the story. Everyone associates Judas with betrayal. It's one of those concepts that we don't really even have to flesh out. And for many folks in culture, they might not even know really why Judas is linked to betrayal. But everyone knows that Judas, the name, the concept, is a concept that deals with betrayal. If you remember um, uh, uh, Dante's great epic poem, uh, Inferno. I think Judas occupies the lowest level in hell in Dante's Inferno. So we all kind of, we all kind of think about, think about that. But here's the thing about Judas. Let's, before we rush to what we know in the end, let's pull back. Let's pull back for a second. Because here's what you need to think about Judas as well. Jesus Christ named him as one of the 12 apostles. There was something in Judas. There was something in Judas that so compelled our Lord that Judas was named as one of the 12 apostles. There was something there that he saw in him. Likewise, go back within Scripture. And you see that the other disciples, they put Judas in charge of the money. 
Now, Scripture tells us that he was stealing as well, but most of us don't give money to folks we don't trust. So there was something within Judas that compelled, rightly or wrongly, that compelled the other disciples to trust him with the money. So here he was. He was one called by Jesus to be one of the 12, one that the other disciples trusted so much to give him the money. Likewise, if you ever think, if you ever think, if you ever think you are unworthy of coming to Christ's table, if you ever think you've done so much that there's no way you, you can possibly have a place at Christ's table, remember this. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus served Judas communion, knowing full well what would happen. So, this is Judas, but yet something happened. Something happened. Something happened to this individual that was called and appointed by Jesus, that was trusted by the other 12 disciples, the 11 disciples. Something happened to make him get to this point that we read in Scripture today where he betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. What happened? Well, we do know, according to Scripture, that there is a spiritual component within this. We see in the Bible that at the Last Supper, Scripture says that Satan entered into Judas. We see that there was a spiritual dimension at work in Judas's life. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about spiritual warfare. Much of our life, y'all, is a constant battle against temptation, against things that we know that are wrong. Our life really is, in many ways, spent... And sometimes spiritual contemplation and spiritual battles against forces, against evil that want to trip us up. And here's the thing you got to understand about spiritual warfare, the thing you got to understand against, against evil. The devil isn't going to attack you in places you don't care. The devil's going to attack you with your relationship with your children. It's going to attack you with your relationship with your parents or your spouse. He'll go after your retirement. Go after your job security. And even if these things don't work, you know what you're going to do? You're going to worry. You're going to spend time worrying about these things. And think about how much time we spend worrying about things. That we don't devote to things that are more important, like loving God or loving our neighbor. We spend so much time sometimes in spiritual battles against the stuff that gnaws at our soul that we don't truly devote ourselves to what matters the most. Our spiritual battles, our spiritual life sometimes. I'm not a boxer, but I played a lot of Mike Tyson's punch out when I was a kid. And if you remember Mike Tyson's punch out, the great theological video game, when you're fighting your guy, he puts his arms up. And so what do you do? You punch him in the belly. So spiritually, if the devil sees his attacks towards you are not affecting you in this way here, he'll just change the attack. We have to be nimble in our spiritual lives. We have to constantly be praying. We have to constantly be seeking the Lord. We have to be constantly in communion with God's people. We have to constantly be fasting and praying and turning our eyes towards God because so much of life deals with these spiritual battles that aren't big and bad, 
Sometimes the greatest thing the devil can do to us is to get us to spend all of our energy worrying about things we have no control over. And if he can distract us over there to doing that, we don't have the mental or spiritual energy to be faithful on things God has truly called us to. So we see Judas. Something happened to him to get him to the point where he was willing to betray his Lord. What was it? We don't know. But some people have a, have a theory. Go back to last week. Remember the zealots we talked about? The zealots were individuals within Jewish society that wanted to drive out Rome. They wanted to drive out the Romans. Now, the zealots were more militant. They, they, they were ready to go. They wanted to fight. Like they were, looking, they were just looking for a fight. That's kind of who the zealots were. But that, that notion that they had in their minds that an earthly king would come to get rid of the Romans was pretty prevalent in society today. You ever wonder, you ever wonder when you read scripture, why when Jesus would do something, he'd tell folks, now don't tell anybody. You ever wonder about that? Because I don't know about y'all, but if I was doing stuff, man, I'd be Facebook live in every moment. I'd be all over Twitter. I mean, it'd be stupid. I'd have my own hashtag and everything. But not Jesus. He said, don't tell anybody. Why? Because the people were looking for a Messiah. Sure, they were looking for a Messiah. But what kind of Messiah were they looking for? They were expecting that earthly king like David to come and to rise up. To rise up and lead an army. To throw off the chains of the Roman oppressors. That is what the people could not get out of their mind. Do you remember several times within Scripture? When it said Jesus withdrew for knowing they would try to make him a king, it says that several times, that they were looking for an earthly king to come and to, to, to start this war. They were looking for a throne. They weren't looking for a cross. They were looking for power. They weren't looking for a cross. So Jesus told them, don't tell anybody because he knew they weren't ready to understand yet. Even towards the end. When Pilate says, are you a king? What does Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. So some people think maybe, maybe what Judas was doing was this. Sometimes start a fire. All he needs is a little gas and matches. We're going to find out if Jesus really is this Messiah. Think about John the Baptist when he's in prison. He writes to Jesus, his disciples go and ask Jesus, are you the one that is to come? Or should I wait for another? Because they struggled understanding who Jesus was. So some folks think Judas was trying to, trying to start the war, if you will. So he comes and they arrest Jesus. And we see the disciples are kind of ready for it too. Because what does old Peter do when the, when the troops show up? He takes out a sword and goes to hacking off an ear. And what does Jesus do at that point? He puts the sword away and he heals the ear. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world and my kingdom does not come in this manner. So, perhaps Judas was trying to, trying to start, start that rebellion. But here's the thing. Judas isn't the only person to deny Jesus. 
The first passage we read today, we saw kind of the, the happy ending of Peter's story. But let's back up a little bit before we get to the happy ending. Let's go to the night of the, the betrayal. When Jesus tells them, I must be betrayed, I must be crucified. I, they are going to come and they are going to crucify me. And Peter's like, uh-uh. If they go into you, they got to come through me first. They're not getting to you without first getting through me. Which the Lord replies, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter's like, not happening. Uh-uh. Those other folks, they're cowards. They're run, but not me. I got this. I got this. Not going to happen to me. So Peter follows to a courtyard. Hey, you're one of his, aren't you? I don't know the man. Hey, you got a Galilean accent. You're one of his, right? I said, I don't know him. Finally, a slave girl comes and says, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? To which he begins to curse Jesus' name and deny that he even knows who Jesus is. And the Bible is clear. If you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father. Jesus said that himself. And the rooster crows. And Peter realizes what he's done. He runs out, weeping. It isn't just Judas that betrayed and abandoned Jesus. But Peter did too. So for Peter, we see the end here, though. We see this scene playing out on the beach where Jesus and Peter go for a walk. But see, before we get to this walk, even, we get to the resurrection. Back up before we get to John 21. Let's go to John 20. Where in John 20, Jesus tells Mary after the resurrection, go tell my disciples and Peter that I have been raised from the dead. Now, why did Peter get a special call out? Just because he was something special? No. Peter got a special call out because he had already begun the process of withdrawing himself from the disciples. He did not feel worthy. He had already begun to separate himself from his family and from his community because he had failed so greatly. Certainly, he was not welcomed back amongst the disciples. So go tell my disciples and Peter. And Peter. Peter had withdrawn himself from God's family, but God had not withdrawn himself from Peter. So now we see the, the beach where three times the Lord asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That third time hurt. Why that third time hurt? Because that third time reminded him of the third time he denied. But for each of his failings, Jesus Christ gave Peter grace. For each of his denials, Jesus gave Peter grace. For each of his betrayals, Jesus gave Peter grace. Now, here's the question I don't have an answer for. I don't like those questions, by the way. I like the questions I have the answers for. It's the ones that I don't know. I don't like those. 
would Jesus have forgiven Judas? We don't know, but I think there's biblical evidence that he would have. I mean, we see it here with Peter, don't we? Three times Peter denied and three times the Lord forgave. And then let's not just forget Peter. Let's look at our good friend Paul, where Paul in his own words writes these. I have blasphemed the Lord. I have uttered blasphemies. And scripture says that Paul was forgiven by Jesus himself, that he experienced grace. I think, I think that Judas if he had been able to hold on, could have been forgiven by Jesus, but Judas was unable to forgive himself. Sometimes it's not that God will not forgive us and let the past go. It's that we cannot forgive ourselves. It's that we cannot forgive ourselves. The Lord is ready to forgive, but we're not ready to receive it. Because we think we've done too much. We think we've gone too far. We think we have failed too badly. And friends, that's simply not the case. And in fact, when we say that, you know what that actually is? It's pride. I don't know if you ever remember the old movie, um, The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino. Good movie. In this, in this movie, the, um, the, the, the protagonist played by the great theological person, Keanu Reeves, who I love Keanu Reeves. I mean, the Matrix, come on now. And Speed's the best. Um, but Keanu is a lawyer, and he has this temptation play out where he basically defends a client who he knows is guilty, and then it goes through all the things that eventually would have led to his own destruction, to the destruction of the world. So he realizes this. He has this moment where he stares into it, and he pulls back and says, no, I'm not going to do it. And in this moment of integrity and courage, he, he stands up and doesn't give in to temptation. And it's, the courtroom's aghast. And he, he walks out and he's going to lose his career and lose his license and all this. And he's kind of in the bathroom kind of washing his face and, uh, and, uh, and just, you know, this moment of great integrity. Then just a moment, a, law, a reporter walks in. He says, hey, hey, you got to let, let me tell your story. got to tell your story. He's like, I, I can't do it. No, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. He said, no, come on, let me tell you. Let me do it. I'll make you famous. He says, okay. And he walks out. And the reporter transforms into the devil. He says, oh, pride, the old fallback. Pride gets so wrapped up within our lives. Because when we say, oh, God can't forgive me. God can't forgive this sin. I've gone too far. I've done too much. I can't be forgiven. Oh, so you're the one. You're the one whose sin is greater than the cross. You're the one who the blood of Jesus can't wash over. You're the one whose sin is stronger than the grace of our Lord. No! None of our sins is greater than the blood of Christ. None of our sins is greater than the love of God. None of our sins is greater than God's grace. When we think our sin has outstripped God's grace, we don't, we're really saying that we are outside of that. And God says, no, you're not. I came to save the world. I came to redeem the world. I came to restore the world. And you are part of that world no matter what you've done. No sin. No failure. 
No addiction. No immorality. No anything is greater than the grace of our Lord. And there's nothing he will not forgive. There's no one he will not restore. There's no life that is too far gone. And there's nothing that can't be made clean by the grace of Jesus Christ. No sin stands unredeemable. We just got to ask forgiveness. And that starts with forgiving ourselves. Because if we can't move past it, and we can't receive that grace, we'll never allow it to wash over us. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all, all, all of our sin. There's no one who comes to Jesus who can't be redeemed. And there's no sin when laid at the foot of the cross that can't be forgiven. No matter where we find ourselves in this moment, may we know the power of God's grace that longs to redeem you and me. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for the power of grace, the power of redemption, the power of love. Let us always know, God, your love for us in all things. We love you. We ask it in Christ's sweet and holy name. Amen. During our closing and invitation with him this morning, the altar is open. Perhaps there is some sin, some something, some hurt, some wound from your past that you're continuing to grapple with that you just can't let go. Today is the day to know that you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. That no sin is greater than the grace of our Lord. Perhaps you've never made the decision to put your full faith in Jesus Christ. Today is a great day to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Perhaps you'd like to learn more about how to join our church. We'd love to talk to you about how you can become a member of St. Matthew's. Perhaps you'd like to pray. As you come to the altar, if you'd like for one of us to pray with you, just acknowledge us and we'll be glad to come pray with you right now. But this morning, as we close in prayer, the altar is open. Won't you come?